Podcast about cities and the people, politics, and pop culture that shape them. I'm your host, Matthew Boyd, and today we have the pleasure of speaking to Tanya Wegwitz, a transportation planner extraordinaire. With over 20 years of experience, she's probably one of the most knowledgeable transportation planners out there. She also has an amazing blog at connectdots.ca where she shares her deep wealth of wisdom. I hope you enjoy. Great. So, Tanya, thanks very much for joining us on episode one of yeah. Monorail City. It's an honor. Yeah. should do a full disclaimer, too, that we're at the uh, downtown library here in Victoria. There's lots of seagulls circling around outside of us. So, the listeners out there, if you hear seagulls, don't get alarmed. They're, uh, they're just outside the window, so they're not actually part of the show. So, yeah. They're just reminding you that you're, we're coming to you from lovely Victoria, B.C. That's, that's absolutely correct. <laughs> the seagulls are plenty, <laughs> and they're very, very loud for they, those of you... They are part of the city. That's exactly. <laughs> so, Tanya, you've been uh, a transit planner now for over 20 years. Mm-hmm. Is that right? So, how did how did you get into transit planner? Oh, that is uh, a story. My aunt always says that when you ask people about their jobs, they tell one of two stories, which is either how nothing led them to where they are, or how everything led them to where they are. And mine's kind of more of the first. So. Um, I, yeah, it's pure luck that I wound up in this job, but I couldn't ever have wished a better job or profession for myself, or I think found one that fits me so perfectly. I feel really, really thankful that I got to be able to do it. So when I went to school, I wasn't even aware of the field of planning um, and, uh, and, and cities. I'd always been a transit rider, been riding the bus by myself since I was eight, <laughs> um, and always advocated for sustainable transportation. Uh, but in school, what I wanted to be is I wanted to write. And so that was more of my focus. I did take some geography, um, and then got out of school, was uh, writing, working in the field of communications. Um, and while I was doing that, also doing things, what's called the um, commuter challenge. Um, so helping to organize people, how they might get to work by other ways, and I lost my job. And so I was looking for another job, and I thought, well, oh, transit, you know, I've given them enough of my money over the years, I'll go see if there's a job there, and I can maybe work in their communications department. And yeah, just real fluke, put in a resume on a Friday, they said no jobs available, and then over the weekend, just a series of events unfolded that meant that they needed a staff person on Monday to fill in on short notice, counting the money in the fare box. So all those coins that you put into the uh, fare box on a bus, they get counted by people. Yeah, I did that for a summer and then wound up in a job uh, which was then known as a traffic checker, uh, where I would ride the bus all day and write down when and where people are getting on and off the, the, the stops. And yeah, just kind of kept working my way through. And uh, I always thought I might wind up in marketing or communications in transit, or at least that was my intention when I first applied there. But I wound up uh, on the planning side, and like I said, couldn't have imagined a better fit. 
And in a lot of ways, like I have two uh, younger sons, and in the past when I've tried to explain to them what my job is, I said, well, my job is to listen to people and go and see what's working and what's not in a community and with their buses. And then I write stories about how to make the buses in the city better. And you know, it's that, that story writing, you know, while I didn't quite wind up there, that's an integral part, I think, of what we do, right? Yeah, yeah. Is how we communicate. So that's a very long, uh, long story, but that's so was, how it was. Was it love at first sight, though, with transit planning, when you were counting those coins? Well, I don't know about counting the <laughs> coins, <laughs> uh, but certainly uh, uh, when I was traffic checking and then had the opportunity to analyze the data, and this will seem, you know, so now I'm fully bearing my nerd soul, but yeah, having the opportunity, having been a passenger for so many years, and then to be then on the other side and get to see how transit works from mm. the inside out, and to feel like you're being part of something big and that you're problem solving. And, you know, when I was doing traffic checking, it was, it was a very interesting job. And I, in, for where I wound up, I can't have pictured a better way to spend two years of my life. Because all I did was, you know, I would basically shadow a, a transit operator for the day. If they worked a split shift, I did. And if they only had two minutes to try and find a bathroom at the end of the line, that was my case as well. Mm -hmm. And you'd be there listening to people and see what was what was working and what wasn't working and get to hear the stories and, and see what was really going on. And that was a really powerful foundation in terms of rooting transit where it needs to be rooted, which is the reality of the street and what's happening there. And all of those experiences all through a day that all add up to moving whole cities. Yeah. Well, speaking of, of storytelling too, because I know that storytelling plays a key role in the planning field, whether it be transit or urban, is that you have an awesome blog, it's connect, connectdots.ca, yeah. and recently you posted the 10 principles of great transit planning. And I think it's, it's a very clear and concise summary of what it means to be a transit planner. So what inspired you to write those 10 principles? Yeah, I was, um, it was actually a little bit of work I was doing in relation to a community in the prairies, and I was trying to think about kind of a couple of key precepts, you know, that I just have in the back of my head in terms of, and I probably that I bore people around me <laughs> with, in terms of what are the, the sayings or quotes that seem to be, to just really stand out in terms of how we go about our business mm -hmm. as transit planners. And I think there's been quite a lot written and, and captured in terms of the design principles of transit. So how do you design transit systems so that they work really well um, and that they're direct and they move people and they cater to different needs. But instead, what I was trying to get at more was uh, what are the ways that we actually go about our business? What do we need to be be doing mm -hmm. and uh, one great part of my job is that I've had a lot of opportunity to pass on what I know to younger planners that have been coming up and then also to the people that I work with in communities because mm -hmm. I think the more we know of each other's business then you can kind of understand what's going on and yeah with these I just thought oh, okay well here's if I, I was actually on my bus going to work one morning I thought I'm gonna write these down mm -hmm. what, what would be my top ten and so I, uh, there was, yeah. So it was number one. Number one is don't 
screw up the morning commutes. Yeah. So was the morning commute <laughs> screwed up that morning, which inspired no. number one? No. No. Not a, not at all actually. No. It, it was it was a just fine fine day. Yeah. Um, I think actually th- what what got me. I mean, number one is number one. If you got nothing else, you know, don't don't. Don't screw that one. First, do no harm. Yeah, first, do no harm. Um, I think on that particular morning, it was uh, a couple of the other ones that were there that were kind of more ringing true to me. But when I sat down and listed them all and kind of went, okay, what is the natural order? I wanted that one first. It was interesting. This this particular post has gotten picked up in a number of places. And one of the places was at uh, through the... Um, Institute of Transportation Engineers and and one fellow there wrote to me and he said you know what really you know except for that one all of these could really apply to anyone doing a work the work of with cities mm-hmm. right so yeah we can go into some of the, some of the others but yeah for don't screw up the morning commutes that's so so necessary um, your commuters uh, are likely your heaviest ridership in a system and um, for those who are transit planners they'll also recognize in the afternoon life's a little bit more forgiving right but uh, getting up 10 minutes early in the morning is a very big deal so when you mentioned there's other interests from other fields as you say this is essentially this is applicable to almost any planning job and in some ways many other jobs as well so was that one of the reasons you designed it was to not only share what it means to be a transit planner because I think that the transit planning field isn't always understood from say a land use planner is one was one of your goals in this list to sort of provide that system connectivity with regards to how things work for other for other fields maybe may or maybe it was just you know I wanted to capture a little bit of my own manifesto I think I think for me when I wrote it I was very much focused on okay you know hi new transit planner <laughs> If you do nothing else, here's, here's what I found to be some very good ways of going about your business that will likely lead you to success. Okay. Yeah. And the other one that it, it resonated with me was that number eight is that don't get stuck in because we've always done it that way. Yeah. And I know I think that someone mentioned, I saw a post or someone provided a comment and just asked that question, well, how do you inspire someone to change who's not willing to change? Right. And I think that you provided an additional response to that. I thought that was really interesting in the sense of that you need to tell a story, right? So how do you convince someone who's not necessarily willing to change or willing to try a pilot project or a new thing to do that? What's, you know, what's, the, what's the secret solution to that? Yeah, I think you need to be very... Um, I think, first of all, you need to convince yourself, Right. So to have a sit down, if you, if you feel like there's a compelling reason to go about doing something in a slightly different way, you know, uh, anyone who's written business cases, which sounds scary, but it's not. It's basically sitting down and going, okay, well, here is the issue that I'm noticing. Here's the impact. Here's what it would be like if we changed nothing. Here's where we could go uh, if we made this change. Mm-hmm. And so being very clear on kind of what the trade-offs are that you're trying to get to. Um, but then also having a, a sense of, okay, if they're not wanting to change, why? Like, what do you think is the reason going on there? And uh, getting, getting a real sense of what that is. And sometimes that's ickier. <laughs> 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 because all of a sudden you start moving away from 
you know, uh, if I wanted to say change how an organization might count its data and there's um, resistance to that, well, there's whatever's on the table that you're talking about. But underneath that is perhaps someone not understanding what the other things are about, perhaps not feeling that they have the time, there might be who they are wrapped into that, mm-hmm. what they feel. And so it's, but it's getting a sense of that to, to, to move forward from those and see if you can move, move past that. Part. Yeah. Because I noticed that a lot of the themes in that in these principles are also inclusiveness, right? It's getting people on board, whether it's the people actually deli- delivering yeah. the service or the decision makers. Yeah. In your experience, and I you know this might be an obvious answer, but it's you want to bring people in on the project at the early phase of it as opposed to bringing them in later. Yeah. I think, you know, while we've talked about that these, these principles are very general, I think... Um, especially for transportation. Uh, everyone is an expert in their own transportation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether it's you drive your car to work and you're dropping off kids along the way or whether you're a bus passenger or you're a transit operator, you know your particular route and roads and trip that you might take better than anybody else. Right. Yeah. And really, all a transit planner is doing, or a transportation planner, is they're the aggregator. They're, you know, and I always feel like it's, it's as much as we're talking about speaking with many people, what we're also trying to do is, I think it's helpful to think of all of these trips as layers that are all layering on top of each other. In the same way that if you think about the city, that's all it is, is it's just layers and layers of human connection that are all layering on top of each other and making something pretty amazing through it all. Mm-hmm. And so our job is to kind of to have the ability to see where all of these things are layering on top of each other and where are the commonalities in terms of when and where people are trying to get to, but also in terms of what are the rub spots in terms of things that aren't working well and that could be working, working better. Yeah. But you always have to start from that detail. And you also have to recognize that because people do feel that they are the experts in their own transportation, not only do you get the best information in to shape those decisions if they're a part of it, they're definitely going to be affected by whatever you're coming up with. And so, again, another great reason to have them along for the ride right from the beginning. Yeah. Do you think that, because I, I, I know what you mean with regards to everyone's an expert on their own commute, and everyone's an expert on their own mode choice as well. Do you think that in conversations with transportation and transit, that there's too much focus on the mode and not enough focus on the movement itself. So what I mean by that is that some people, I think, get caught up in, you know, we want a train or we want a rapid bus or we want bicycle lanes. And very rarely do you ever hear someone saying, we just want to move people more efficiently. So how do we, do you have, have you have any experience with that and any tactics with regards to shifting people's frame of thought yeah. from um, these different mode choices to the movement of people itself. Yeah, and I, I would even go one step further, and it's not just the efficient movement of people, but it's just like getting you and your kid to your mom's house for dinner. Right. Right? And making it so that kid up in Prince Rupert who needs to get up tomorrow morning can get to school, right? So it's even it's even like that granularity. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think that, I, I like how you put it in terms of the mode rather than the movement. And I had the opportunity to write an article recently, and it was just on um, urban mobility. Mm-hmm. And 
was going to write, uh, I got asked to write an, an, an article about integrated urban mobility and, you know, I started to think about, oh, maybe I can profile more communities and more places in terms of what they're doing, right, to do bike share, or car share, or autonomous yeah. vehicles or whatnot. But then I stopped and I realized, no, the, the story that isn't being really told, there are so many amazing, great articles on what, how, how people are doing this, all of the great modes but what we're not talking about is how we need to shift our own mindset to make sure that we capture this moment and these opportunities correctly and one of the one of my so there was a few different takeaways but one of the key ones is exactly what you're saying right is that what we're talking about is connection we're talking about connecting people and and we always need to come back to that so you know, there's so much being written now on autonomous vehicles and the impact of them. And, and I think I, we need to be very cautious that we don't lose our way. Mm-hmm. Because whatever I do starts with me leaving my house and leaving my front gate, right? And that is the core of who we are. And that's who we are as people. And it's trying to find that human connection and that connection to whatever we're trying to do. And uh, so we can't get lo- the technology or the mode. That's just the tool to make that happen. Yeah. And as long as we've got the diversity and keep coming back to how do we make people relate and connect to each other and how do we make sure that they've got healthy and lovely choices to go about doing that and it's just not all or nothing, then I think that's our key thing that we yeah. need to keep you be aware of. That's a good metaphor too, describing different modes as tools, right? Don't, yeah. get, don't get lost in the tool, focus on the final product. Yeah, I think especially now with, uh, at least in Canada, there's been our, quite a bit of, of funding now, and that funding is meaning infrastructure and technology. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had the opportunity to see Canada's Minister of Infrastructure Mr. Sohi speak uh, back in the fall and what impressed me the most about him is he didn't talk about that. Like he talked, he talked about it. He, he was, you know, coming, showing up with billions of dollars <laughs> that he's investing in it. But what he related it to was the people and what it meant for people and their individual trips. And I think we need to keep coming back to that to make sure we don't lose our way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's another, another theory that another smart planner once described to me was that sort of the hourglass theory. And the hourglass theory being that, imagine a city looks like an hourglass in the sense that there's residents and potentially jobs in the top half, and then there's all the activity centers, be it the university and the downtown and the bottom half, right? And what happens is that we naturally fill up those two areas, and in between there's an hourglass. And that hourglass, whether it's a bridge, whether it's a tunnel, whether it's you know a single highway point, and I think there just becomes an obsession about how we deal directly with that hourglass point with regards to what tool are we going to use to fix this. Right as opposed to thinking about, well, how can we move more people through the hourglass itself, right? So do you have any thoughts? Have you ever heard that theory? Or Well, I've, I, I haven't heard quite that way, but I, I want to flip it around and I'd say, well, is the hourglass the problem, right? I mean, it would be, you know, eye-roll worthy to talk about the journey. And I guess what I'm saying is there, there's always the case of you're trying to find connection. Like yeah. that's, that is always the logistics, right? Is you're right. You start with good land use planning and try and make it as close as possible. And then you try and make the, 
connections, like I said, layers and layers of diversity to try and make that happen. But I think the one, the one part I'm grappling with in your metaphor is also just recognizing that transportation sometimes gets seen as the stuff in the middle, the thing you do mm. in between the stuff that you're trying to do. And what I'm trying to say is that's still being a person in the city. Right. And I had, you know, last spring I had an amazing walk home and it just kind of reinforced, you know, what, what happens at five, five kilometers an hour, right? In terms of, well, no, I'm there and I'm, I'm observing the world around me and checking stuff out. But then as I went along, I ran into a friend who had got off her bike with her three-year-old in, in the back on her way home from work. And all she wanted was some beer. A hard-working mom who just wanted beer to get home. And so I hung did, out did with her. Did this actually happen? This actually this happened. I'm like telling you an actual happen. This Utopia isn't, moment. no, no. Where do you live? <laughs> <laughs> I live in Fernie. Yeah. yeah, so I sat there and hung out with her kid. Well, she just popped into the, the beer and wine store. And so we had a little chat and I got to you know, sing songs with this little girl. And then I went, I'm continuing on my way, and I ran into uh, this fellow and his son, Andrew and Arlo, who've been working on a garden in our neighborhood, and I had a little conversation with them. And it's, so it just, it just, that just struck me as, that doesn't happen in all mode choices. Now there's some people who drive a car to work and that becomes their alone time where they're listening to the radio and they don't have to account for anybody, right? I am now working at a job where I don't get quite that same walk. I'm on a bus for 40 minutes a day and that's where I do my writing and I think about stuff. So I think you're right. It's trying to make it so that transportation is as, as easy as possible. Okay. And, but then also thinking about, okay, well, but it's, it's not non time it's there's still something else going on right I got you so the commute itself or your journey is not a, a mind-numbing commute the journey home or to work is an experience unto itself it's that, it's just part of the city yeah we tend to we tend to think of oh well you're going from origin to destination and this thing that happens in the middle is this some other thing and by, by thinking of it as almost this non-part of the city, huh. the jam and the sandwich, it's almost like transportation, you know, those of us who work in transportation, and hello, you know, land use planner friends out there, but we often feel, oh, we get left to the end. You know, they build all these things, and then they think about how people are going to get there, and they don't really think about it. And then we're stuck trying to, f you know, build bus routes in land use patterns that make no sense, or trying to get buses to hospitals that have built, been built on the edge of town instead of in the center where they should have been and yeah. so forth. And perhaps one way to start shifting our mindset is to shift how we think about transportation, that it's, it's not non-time, it's just, you know, time in motion, that it's still part of the city, it's still part of what's happening there. Right, so by acknowledging Commutes exist. This is, this is, we're getting deep here. We're getting deep. <laughs> yeah, so by acknowledging that commuting exists, just seems, seems to increase the issue itself in some ways. Yeah. And also, I think, too, it's, is if you think, 
If you're always thinking about transportation as this, this thing that you need to do that you don't really want to do, it means that you stop thinking creatively about what you do with that time. Yeah. Right? So I was part of a project in Mission where we created this thing called the Shopper Shuttle. And it was to solve a very specific issue in that community. What it did was um, there was a conventional system, where, so big buses on the routes going through town. There was a specialized transit handy dart for those who couldn't walk to the bus stop. But then in Mission, which is very, very steep, there were all of these senior citizens' residences that were all built on the hill, and they all wanted transportation there. It was too steep to walk up from downtown back home with a bag of groceries. It was a little bit harder to get to the conventional transit routes. And what we wound up doing is making a hybrid, something in between the door-to-door service on Handy Dart and the route. So it was a little route and went to each of the major seniors' residences, went to the mall, the hospital, the mall. It was kind of the hot, and it was kind of the almost the senior citizens' dream route. Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, when I first, we were there with the seniors trying to figure out how to make this work, and I pitched it to this lady, Mrs. Jacobson, who was there. That was her comment. She's like, oh dear, that would be a dream. <laughs> but what that wound up being is we did implement it, and it was at a little bus, so it meant that they could get dropped off partway, or it would go straight to the, sub, the Safeway and, and went around on an hourly basis. But what wound up starting happening is that they, it was community on that bus. So that people would take the bus to find community. And it, it was almost wound up being like a roving seniors party route. Right. They would get, you know, bring a, they would make cake, a birthday cake for their bus driver. And yeah, so that's a really, you know, maybe off the charts compelling example of what happens when... Transportation isn't just transportation, that's this something other. Right, it almost became a mobile community center yeah. in some ways. Yeah, yeah. And so in, in so many other ways, so if we think about our transit systems, you know, and there's a number of transit systems that start, have started doing really fun things while you're in transit, or other ways of getting around where it's just, no, how do we think about this different? You know, along the same lines, when I bike to work or walk to work, you know, you stop, you say hi to people, you acknowledge other people, have conversations however whenever I've driven somewhere and I see someone pass the other direction there's not a lot of opportunity to no to, <laughs> to honk hey, hey can you watch my kid while I'm going <laughs> so it's much easier or much more difficult okay well wrapping up and I'll ask you just a couple rapid fire questions is, is that what has changed so you've been in the transit industry for over 20 years yeah so what has changed the most since when you started to the way it is today. Yeah, uh, for sure how people occupy their time. So the fact that so many people have cell phones, smartphones, whatnot, um, that is huge. Mm -hmm. And that has a huge impact in terms of how we do our customer information, in terms of how we get feedback from uh, customers and passengers, um, how we can tell people when they're coming. So that's huge. And then also the ability then to, the technology to measure ourselves, right? Yep. And then what do you see? So you're a futurist and you're going to work for 20 more years. So if we did this interview again in 20 years time, what's the answer to that question going to be? Wow. I hope, I hope it's diversity. 
and I, I hope that uh, uh, one of the things that I was playing around with is the idea that um, when people think about the future and going to a future where we've got more different kinds of transportation, that this is new and it's somehow scary because it's new. But what I've been trying to tell people most recently is, no, we're just going home. So if you look at it, at, uh, I had a great shot of Winnipeg um, in 1910. And if you look in the street, there's cars, there's horses, there's bikes, there's pedestrians, there's streetcars. Right? Yeah. And they're all just there. They're all in the street. So we always had diversity. If you go back even further, you know, people always had diverse ways of getting around. We kind of lost it for a period of time where we were designing mainly around the car. And so I'm hoping that that diversity comes back. What that looks like, you know, whether it's little pod ovules that click together, like some are saying, that'll be there. And I'll still be leaving my front door, (laughs) I hope. That's good. It's an excellent answer. My my sidewalk. We would have accepted magical robots. The future. <laughs> how about, how about unicorns with rockets? <laughs> <laughs> unicorns with rockets. That's, yes, there you go. And the final question, so in the spirit of being in the library, and for our listeners, is there a, uh, a particular book that you, or books, plural, that you love to recommend to others? Uh, it doesn't, have to, doesn't necessarily have to be a transportation-related book, but just a book in general that you always sort of migrate back to. Yeah, so if people have never checked out uh, Alexander's A Pattern Language, that, that is a great book. And it's a, an expensive one to buy yourself, so it's a great one for the library. Right. What's, library's what's, a brief, what's a brief synopsis of that one? What it, it's from the late 60s, mm-hmm. I believe, and basically what they did is they, they saw communities as um, patterns, patterns that get um, done on the community of scale, on the neighborhood scale, and then in, in houses. And, and kind of what they did is they identified, basically, it's almost, it's almost like a place-making recipe book because they go through and they say, okay, uh, sunny ledge or uh, east-facing bedroom or, um, you know, public square. And it's kind of... Okay, here's here's the ingredients, and you kind of you kind of look through it, and you kind of go in some ways, duh. Well, of course, that's what makes you know. Of course, you should have covering over your front door for when you're fumbling with your keys. Mm-hmm. But sometimes we've forgotten about it's that. So it's not so obvious. So yeah, it's just a really lovely little book to kind of flip through and, uh, and check out. Cool. Well, Tanya, thank you very much for being. The first contestant, episode one of Monorail City. So we really, really appreciate you uh, uh, joining us for the show, and uh, we look forward to following along in your career. I know you're doing some great things, and uh, for those of you that want to find out more information about Tanya, go to her website at connectdots.ca. It's a huge wealth of information with regards to planning. So Tanya, thank you again. Thanks very much, Matt. Hey guys, thanks for listening to episode one. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to spread the word, or perhaps even write a review on iTunes. In closing, remember to be kind to your neighbors and support your local libraries. And we'll see you next time. Take care. Monorail City, Monorail City, a place for me and you.